The Marist Order of the Catholic Church is perhaps one of the most humble of the religious orders, bringing the good news of Jesus Christ as missionaries, hospital chaplains, teachers, and administrators around the world. Their work, while hidden and unknown, shows all of us how we can live our lives as Mary. Today, we have a very special guest on the podcast, straight from Rome, the very Reverend John Larson, Superior General of the Marists. I'm Daniel Lai, and welcome to the next episode of The Marist Minute. Welcome, Father John. Thanks very much. Uh, so I want to take you back a little bit, and let's start with your work before uh, you became the Superior General. Can you talk a little bit about your work as a missionary over the years? What inspired you to that calling? Okay, well, that goes back a long way, and we <laughs> haven't got so much time. But uh, So I'm from New Zealand originally, and even as a young fellow, uh, I was very inspired by the work of the Maoist missionaries, which I'd read about at school and was told about. From there, went to the seminary. After the seminary, a few years teaching in a school, not so different from the school here, a Maoist school and a good school. But during that time, the call to work overseas as a Maoist missionary was was growing even stronger until I wrote to the uh, Superior General in Rome, the position I now have, but it was obviously another fellow then, and uh, said I was available for mission abroad, uh, which was the normal way of doing things. He, I was keen to go to Latin America. Uh, he directed me towards the Philippines and said I was to go there. So I was 30 years old, five years a priest, when I went to the Philippines, the southern Philippines, Mindanao, and was there for many years, 17, 18 years, doing all sorts of things. It was a big change at the beginning from being in a school, which people here would be so familiar with. I was teaching Latin and French and things, uh, to go to a big parish in the southern Philippines, which was about 50% Catholic and 50% Muslim and there would just been a lot of fighting between the two groups before I arrived and it would flare up sometimes while I was there and and afterwards. So I was there about um, those years I don't know how many, 17, 18 and towards the end of that time there was a feeling in the Philippines that it's time to move beyond the Philippines for some of us uh, Philippines is very Catholic and most of Asia, a third of the world's population, is not. So so time to, to get moving. So some of us went to different countries. Uh, two of us went to different countries. We went to Bangladesh, Myanmar, Thailand, Cambodia, seeing if there was an opening for mission, a need for missionaries. And at the end of that time, we recommended uh, Myanmar, Burma as it was often called then, Burma or Myanmar. And we said that to the Superior General, and he said he didn't think it was a great idea, but uh, if we wanted to go, okay, off you go. So three of us went, uh, myself, another priest, a Filipino Marist priest, and a Filipino lay missionary, a layman. Three of us went, and we were eventually joined by a fourth person, a Marist seminarian, also Filipino. We arrived there and learnt the language, uh, studied the language anyway, for several months, and then we went to a diocese which was three days from 
the nearest city, three days on riverboat, from Mandalay. So on Mandalay you got on a riverboat and chugged up the river for three days if it didn't get stuck on the bottom. The river was very shallow. Uh, and hopefully after three or four days, we got to this town uh, called Bamor, right on the border with Yunnan province in China, very remote, uh, and stayed there. Now, it wasn't a great success, I'd say. After nine months, we were told to leave. All foreigners at that stage in Myanmar were being told to leave. We had a couple of hours to get out of the house and went from that remote town. We found our way to the capital city, Yangon, and then flew to Bangkok and Thailand and didn't know what to do, really. Uh, we stayed with the American Redemptress and the American Marinolas, and they said, um, what do you want to go back to Myanmar for? There's so many migrants from Myanmar and Thailand. And we said, where are they? That took us to the south of Thailand, a little town called Renong. We went there and didn't know what to do. It's quite difficult because you're in a little town. Nobody's invited us. And nobody's Catholic. Nobody's met a, a Christian before, let alone a priest. They're all Buddhist or a few Muslim, but mostly Buddhist, 90-something uh, percent uh, Buddhist. Wow. So how, how do you connect? So we just spent a few months walking the streets and talking to anyone who'd, who'd talk and listen to our broken Burmese, <laughs> try try to be understood. And we thought after a few months of listening to the people, and they're, they're treated terribly there, they're in slave labor, really, uh, and, um, and treated atrociously by the dominant culture. And uh, they, we thought there were three ways that perhaps we could bring the good news to the poor, because that's, that's, what, that's the best we could do for the gospel among Buddhists, to be the good news for the poor. One was uh, <clears throat> the education of the, of the migrant kids by... Um, Nine or ten, they, they had little daycare centers for the young ones because the parents are all migrant workers. They're working all day and all night, some of them. Uh, by nine or ten, the kids themselves should be working because they'd be supporting the family. Uh, so we, we worked in that education scene and built up a little bit of a, a secondary program and with the cooperation of Australian Catholic University led to a diploma program. This is over years. Uh, at the beginning, it was pretty rough. Started in a little garage, and the police had raided us. It was all illegal, uh, uh, and we, we were a bit frightened we'd be kicked out of another country. But uh, we we stayed, and now that's going well. We have bought some land, and now it's a it's a proper migrant school. It's still a little bit. It's under the radar a bit, but it's more solid. The other big problem that we worked out was people with. Um, HIV AIDS, mm. uh, Burmese people, the Thai people were cared for by the government. It was pretty rampant in those days, still is really. Right. Uh, and uh, the migrants, the Burmese, had nowhere to go. They can't speak their language. They're not catered for in the healthcare system. They are ashamed to go home. The, the Buddhist beliefs would, would have them filled with evil spirits, so they're sent out of the house. Uh, and we started a program with the help of Caritas, uh, started a program for the patients with AIDS and their families, and that was my main work. Mm. Uh, we also tried to work a little bit in interreligious dialogue, but since that's been developed a lot more. Uh, 
there was another obvious job that needed to be doing to bring good news to the poor, and that's for justice, for uh, work with migrants. But um, we couldn't do that as foreigners ourselves. We're lucky to stay ourselves. After about uh, nine years there, I got a letter from my predecessor, Father John Hannan, the Superior General, an email. I thought they'd forgotten me on the border, and uh, I was quite happy with that arrangement. But they found me, and uh, he said, we want you to come to Rome, and we want you to start an international Marist seminary in Rome, and then to run it. Oh, wow. I thought that wasn't such a brilliant idea myself, but we have a vow of obedience. <laughs> and uh, and so I went to Rome, and we started a seminary uh, for seminarians. At the beginning, we couldn't talk to each other, because we were all from different parts of the world, and... Everything had to be in English and Spanish and Portuguese. Wow. But we sat down together as a community of seminarians and staff and learnt Italian over every day for several months with a teacher. And then Italian became the language of the community, of which none of us spoke <laughs> when we arrived. Right. So uh, that happened. For I was there for five years, and then I went to a general chapter, a meeting of delegates mm. from around the world, and that uh, I drew the short straw, and that led me into this job of <laughs> Superior General, which I've had now for just over four years. Four years, wow. That was another three and a half or so to go. To go. So can you talk a little bit about that work, and what does it mean to be the Superior General? How are you leading or guiding the Marists around the world? It's a tough call, really. Uh, we're, a th- we're a moderately sized congregation, so we would... Uh, on the, bordering on the smaller side, we have five or six hundred uh, priests and brothers and about, I don't know, 30, 40 in formation. So um, it's very different scene. You get the states, mm-hmm. which would mostly be very well established and uh, more senior Marists and not uh, any young ones in formation at the moment and haven't been for years. So you get places like that. Europe's a bit the same. North America, Canada, uh, Australia, a bit the same. New Zealand is a little bit healthier in terms of vocations. And then you get the Maris in the developing world. So Africa, the Pacific, and ideally anyway in Asia, uh, um, and Latin America. There, there are some vocations. Mm-hmm. So you're trying, we're trying to keep the charism of the Marist, which is, which is a beautiful, beautiful charism, alive and bringing good news to the poor. Our, our, our call, like, it's the gospel, simple yeah, as that, yeah, right. is to bring good news to the poor. And we try and do it in our Marist way. And it calls for, um, quite a lot of leadership in terms of one society with North America's particular issues and very different issues in Africa or other parts of the developing world. And so that's that's the mandate, uh, to try and lead the Society of Mary, the Marists, uh, into the future with quite a big imbalance between the finances and the more senior Marists in the developed world and the vocations and a lot of energy in the developing world. And just see the way forward. One way we're, we're trying to do that is have our formation in common, wherever a student comes from. And so the novitiate is normally, normally, not this year, but normally in the Philippines. 
and the theology normally in Rome. That's why they asked me to come to Rome oh, some wow. years ago. So the theology's there, and they do their four years of theology, then they go home for a while, perhaps a bit more theology, and then they can be assigned anywhere in the world. So it's internationalizing a lot. Yeah. So um, what brings you here to, to our school in Pontiac? And now that you've had a chance to tour the school, what's maybe stood out for you? Well, what brings me here is as part of the responsibility as Superior General, as the leader of the international leader of the Marists, is to visit our Marists throughout the world, and in this case specifically uh, in North America or in the United States. Uh, and so I've been here. Uh, I've been really struck by a number of things while being in the school here. One is just the, the positive attitude of the people I've met, the staff and the students. It's, it's, it's quite remarkable. It's quite upbeat. I don't know if I've been given a selective tour or not. Perhaps I have. But uh, it's very upbeat and uh, it, it's, it's great. At the same time, I'm aware that the Marist fathers, who I have been involved in this school since the 90s and involved in this area for much longer, uh, they're, they're, not, they're not going to be here for much longer. So the challenge is to, is to support my own brothers in the Society of Mary as to a way forward and to, to support the ministry in the school as a place of mission, of evangelization. And I see, I've experienced over these days so much uh, goodness and positivity, uh, enthusiasm uh, in the, among the staff and the, the community and the environment and the upbeat approach of, of so many I've met gives you real reason for hope. And perhaps it is time now for the, for the priests of the Society of Mary to be focusing on areas where there are, uh, where they don't have the resources of a, of a wonderful school like this. Mm. I've met some of the board and the teachers. You've got a great future. But in a sense, if we can support you in any way, that's fine. But perhaps our resources need to be more focused in areas that are that, that just don't have the riches of of charism and and depth of awareness that I've experienced in these days here. Yeah. Well, as we're heading into the season of Easter, uh, I wanted to ask you in particular, how can families and really anyone who listens out there on the podcast, how can they apply some of the Marist ideals in their life, whether it's among their own family or in their neighborhoods or even at school? Uh, how would you guide them? Well, I think the most basic guide for everyone is, is the gospel, obviously. So to be gospel-based and the gospel is spread through the, through the life of the church, through the sacraments and uh, the ordinary life of the ordinary church everywhere. So the, the, they're the basics. We have a particular gift of the Holy Spirit, I think, the charism, the way of interpreting that. And it's very much the, the Marian way, the way of looking at things with Mary. So, uh, I'd say what we can offer is a Marian way of looking through the world with Mary's eyes. Mm. So to do things simply and humbly and graciously to bring the good news to the poor. Mm -hmm. And perhaps the special 
charism is is that to bring the good news to the poor in Mary's way. Right. It's a maternal way. So um, to develop that way of being church, the marriage to, to be a church which is inclusive and gracious and un unimposing, if you like. We say hidden and unknown. Right. Just with the people, the the leaven in the dough, uh, in a gracious way. So I think that's that's the way forward, and it's done. It will be done in this part of the world very much by Marist lay people, people who've, who've imbibed the spirit, who, who really believe in it, who um, understand and look at the world through Mary's eyes, and live graciously that way. Mm-hmm. At the same time, support for the Marist world where 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 we don't have those resources, you know, where we're much more with people who who are, who are Desperate, right, right? As where we've been in Asia or Latin America or whatever. Yeah. So this year, as you probably are aware, or uh, the Marist theme of ardent love of neighbor. Uh, how can we live that out in today's world with everything going on around us? Particularly looking at the Marist as an example, what would, would be your advice to, to folks who are just struggling with? Um, all the chaos around us in the world today. Well, just focus on the basics, I guess, I'm sure. And the basics are a very deep prayer life, a sense of the, of, of, of the love of the Holy Spirit filling our hearts and our families and our prayer. And that person who had a special relationship with the Spirit, which is Mary, a prayer life that, that is imbued with the Gospels and lived as Mary. Also, forming support groups of people who share those values, Marist groups. Mm-hmm. And also, and I think this is pretty important, without getting stressed about it or anything, but a real option for the poor. Uh, the, the, the Marist charism comes from a little town in Nazareth, among the poor and oppressed, where Mary brought up Jesus, where Mary lived the family life with Joseph, where it was very ordinary, but very basic. And even if people um, are, are pretty well off, to have a heart and a compassion for the poor, to see the world through their eyes, and that means we actually know names. Mm-hmm. The heart of Mara's spirituality is the name of Mary. We carry the name of Mary. She's a poor, oppressed woman. Mm. And and it's pretty. It can be just a bit pious unless we actually know people, women, children, anyone, poor and oppressed, and we are the good news for them. Mm. So, um, a profound prayer life, a sense of call, a sense of community, forming groups, and a sense of mission. And the mission often is 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 the cutting edge. What are we actually doing for? the person who's really struggling at home or abroad. So the prayer, the community, and the mission, mm-hmm. all in a Marian way. We, we really think we're, we're living Mary's life, and that's what we're called to do. Well, I think you kind of, that leads me into my final question. As you touched on earlier, the number of Marist priests, particularly in the United States, is it's getting smaller. You know, everyone's getting older, and there's no new seminarians coming in. How can others 
particularly like the laity, follow the example of the Marists and bring their neighbors closer to Jesus through through Mary's example? On an individual's, if a person just lives as an individual, it's possible but very hard, I think. The key seems to be communities, like the community in the school, like the last few days I've been experiencing people who are delighted to be in Amara school and full of it and just go around the school. There's so much, you feel you're in Amara school. You really know it. There's no doubt. So that's, that's a community thing. So to form groups of lay people, to seek all the support they can, but basically on their, as a group, to bite the bullet of the gospel <laughs> in Mary's way and to be on fire with the good news and bring it to the people around them, in this case, around Michigan or wherever, you know. Yeah. Uh, and with a world, with an eye too to the, to the bigger world, but work close at home, uh, to be, to be with the people who are really struggling. And that doesn't come from a sort of mindless activism. I have to do something to save the world. Not at all. The world's saved. The world's saved in Jesus Christ. It comes from a deep relationship to Jesus Christ, prayerful, contemplative, supported by community, and with an outreach to those who are not so blessed as the people in the school. And it's probably many people in America, in the state, and certainly outside of, of those parameters. Yeah. So um, uh, the future is very bright, but it's in, just as Mary's vocation was in the, in, the, in the life of the Holy Spirit, the future life, here too, the Mara's future life, I don't know what it'll look like, but the Spirit will guide us, will guide the people here. There's so much goodness that I've experienced around here the last few days. And it's the fruit of generations of um, good, faithful people, Marists, lay people, priests, brothers, sisters. Uh, there's, there's a lot of good fruit, and I'm sure it'll bear, bear a new generation of life. I don't know what it'll look like, and, and I'll be interested to see from wherever I'm looking. But uh, <laughs> the, um, yes, I, I'm full of hope for the future of Marist life, because it's it's spirit inspired and and the roots have been laid here uh, very strongly it's still waiting to to um, to bloom in some ways but there are strong signs of life and thank god for that <laughs> well it's been very enjoyable to have you here uh and i appreciate you taking the time to talk a little bit with us on uh, on the Maris, and I uh, wish you best of luck on your travels. So thank you for, for being on the show today. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. <laughs> Thanks very much.